People of God, this is the word of the Lord. Pay careful attention to it. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third, he finds them awake. Blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant whom knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, he will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know And did what deserved a beating, he will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, prepare us even now for what is to come. Prepare our hearts even this hour for the coming of Christ so that whenever he comes, Lord, we should be found ready. We pray that your word would open our eyes to this reality and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you were to draw out a map of where we are in history, in the history of God saving his people and bringing them to their fullness, you might find something that you could actually map onto this coffee cup, which I conveniently found at the back of our um, our room here. You can see it right here. It's got the words, no, not yet, closer, almost there ready. I think this actually really reflects something we're going to be talking about in our sermon today. Remember this coffee, this coffee cup, because we are in this age of already not yet. What has happened? We are between two comings of Christ where he has already come. What did he come to do? To save us from our sins to lay down his life as a sacrifice, to provide a way for forgiveness. 
But there's a second coming. A second time in which Christ will come. And right now, just as we look back to his first coming, we also look forward to that second coming, which is not yet. And what will happen then? A personal, visible, glorious appearing of our Savior, where he comes, yes, as Savior, but also as judge. Over 300 times in the New Testament, this second coming is mentioned. It is one of the most persistent threads that finds its way into the, uh, the books of the New Testament. I'll just read to you two locations. Hebrews 9, chapters 28, or uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Jesus Christ will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Revelation 1.7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. And even in that second reference, you hear an echo of what we read in our Old Testament passage, Daniel 7, that son of man coming on the clouds, and what will he do? He will judge. He will make everything right. And so Christ is coming again. And he's coming soon. But what does that have to do with what we've been talking about in the book of Luke? Especially chapter 12. Remember that Jesus is on that road to Jerusalem. And as he's going to uh, his, his certain uh, death, but also his certain resurrection. What's he telling us recently in chapter 12? He's warning us of a life of greed. A life of worry that bog us down, that turn our eyes inward, and that keep us from looking outward to the heavenly realities, to the eternal realities that actually allow us to seek the kingdom. And so, it's no surprise that, that right after warning us about greed, warning us about worry, telling us to seek the kingdom, that Jesus launches into this discourse about his second coming. He's coming again, because what does Jesus do when he when he points us to that not yet aspect of the Christian life he is pointing us to to these eternal realities that far outweigh all those things that bog us down with greed and worry and so I want you to see this morning from our text that we are indeed between two comings we are indeed waiting for a second coming, that Christ is coming soon. And that, that has profound realities for how we live here and now. Jesus gives us four encouragements in our text, four words, commands that guide our life in light of his second coming. First, be ready. Be ready. What does it look like to be ready for the Christian, uh, for, for the second coming? Well, it looks like these blessed servants in verse 35. Look there with me. Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Now picture this scene. Take yourself back to the time when there were masters of a house who, who had servants to do their bidding. Now, even as we think of this, it makes us a little bit uncomfortable in our present time. 
But I want you to see Jesus. Don't get tripped up over this picture of a master and his servants. Don't, don't let the offense of that system stop you from seeing the picture that Jesus is painting. Because Jesus is appealing to something that was everywhere in his day. Something that was ingrained into uh, the, the fabric of their lives. And what is it? It's this, that the master of the house leaves for a wedding feast. And these celebrations were long celebrations. They were very different from weddings today. Um, in fact, they could, they could go for hours, but more likely they could go for days and days. And the partying and the celebration just keeps going and the dancing. And what happens while the master is enjoying this party? Well, the servants get busy. What are they doing? They're preparing for the master to come back. Um, he could knock on the door at any moment. He can't you know, send them a text message or an email. Hey, I'm on my way back. So, the, so there they are, waiting. Any moment, they could hear that knock on the door. Master's home. And so what do they do? They wait patiently. They wait attentively. Picture it again in your mind. They stand at the doorway. They're ready to greet their master with smiling faces at just a moment's notice. As soon as he knocks, the doors open. And there they stand. They pull their tunics up around their waist with belts. Uh, our, our text actually says, you know, if you were to go to uh, the, the, the original, the literal words, what, what it said, gird your loins. Um, that's, a, that's a funny phrase. What it just means is take that long cloak that's hanging at the ground, put a belt on and pull it up so that at a moment's notice, you can take off running to, to bring your master inside so that you don't trip over that cloak. So there they stand, ready to spring into action. What, what else? They're holding lamps in their hands. They're ready to guide their master's way into a well-lit room as, as the as the evening sets in. There they stand with their candles, their lamps burning. And as soon as those lamps start to flicker out, they're refueling them, trimming the lamps, pouring oil in so that they are constantly ready. Moments notice. Welcome, Master. Come in. And so the night drags on and on. The clock strikes midnight, then 3 a.m., but there they stand at the doorway, fighting off sleep, ready to welcome the master. Now, friends, these are remarkable servants. And Jesus wants you to, to find, he wants to come and find you living like those remarkable servants when he comes in his second coming. Imagine he comes today. Would he find you with sleeves rolled up, ready for action, lamps burning, lights on? Or would he find you fast asleep on the couch when he makes his grand arrival? That's the question that Jesus wants you to, to consider here. And friends, I want to be honest that there are times when we become so tired of waiting for Jesus to come back. 
think about that? How easily it is to become distracted from that task of waiting at the door for him? And suddenly, as the hours go by, it's been 2,000 years. You know that? As the years go by, as the days go by, we start to take our eyes off that blessed hope of Jesus coming, of the master, the sound of the master at the doorway. And that couch starts to look awfully good. And the pleasures of life and sin, they start to come in and, and like a lullaby, lull us to sleep. Even the good things of life, even the drama of elections can, can distract us from something far more weighty. Is coming. And so Je- Jesus' parable comes to us like a wake-up call. Keep your sleeves rolled up, Christians. Keep the light of the gospel burning in your hearts. Begin to let that hope of the second coming seep into every moment of the Christian life. Imagine what that would look like if your prayer life, before your head hit the pillow at night, you said, Jesus, if you come while I'm sleeping... May I be ready. Jesus, if you come while I'm at work, standing at the doorway, may I be found a faithful servant. That's the posture Jesus wants you to take. He wants the cry of your heart to be, Come, Lord Jesus. I'm tired. Come back. I want to welcome you. Now, how do we do that? How does the posture of our heart become one of waiting for Jesus? Well, I want you to see something in our text because I think it gets us there. It gets us there. How do we start living for the second coming? Well, we look beyond these remarkable servants. Yes, we look at them, we study them, we imitate them, but we look beyond them to the remarkable master. Because he is remarkable. Look at verse 37. Words of encouragement for tired hearts. Hearts at 3 a.m., 2,000 years, waiting for Jesus. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Now, Jesus' disciples heard that. I bet their jaws dropped. Because who ever thought of a master doing this? The servants welcome him in. Come, master. We've been waiting for your coming. Sit down. Let us serve you a meal. What does he say? No. You've been waiting so long. Sit down, faithful servants. Let me put on the servant's uniform. Let me serve you. This is almost too good to be true. A master who is so generous, so gracious, that his second coming, that his his great anticipation is one where we experience even more service. You know, Jesus gave a foretaste of this to his disciples in Luke 22. What happened? They're sitting, reclined at table the night before he was, the very night that he was betrayed. And what did he do? He said, you recline at table and let me serve you. Let me 
Take off your shoes and wash your feet. Let me put on a servant's uniform. That's what he did all the way to the cross. When he died for sins, when he took on the, the, that humble position of a servant, serving servants, dying for them. And now that very hope that we saw at the night he was betrayed, on the night on which he was crucified, now we expect on, the, on that eve of his return, he's going to come back with that same servant posture. Serving servants. Christians, set your eyes on that remarkable master. And suddenly, the couch doesn't look so comfy anymore. The doorway is the place where he's going to come through. So wait there for him. Be ready. But a shift happens. Just as soon as Jesus has uttered these remarkable words, Words of warning start to come from his mouth. Did you, did you see that? His words turn from words of blessing to words of solemn warning. Because not everyone is ready for Christ's return. It's possible, in fact, to be utterly unprepared when he shows up. Verse 39. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. Okay. See a shift in metaphor. But many things are staying the same. You, you see another unexpected visit, another time of, of, of a surprise return. But here, it's not the return of a master, it's the return, the breaking in of a thief. Here's the thing about thieves no one ever expects when they'll come. Imagine calling the police. Uh, yeah, officer, I'd like to uh, pre-report a break-in. He's coming, I can tell. It's going to be 11 o'clock, and you need to be there. It doesn't happen. That's completely silly. No, burglaries are unexpected, and they leave you wishing that you would have locked your car, you would have set the alarm on your house. What, do you, what does it leave you saying? If only I'd been prepared. I would have, I would have been there. I would have been ready. If only I would have pulled things together. Friends, this is how it will be for many at Christ's second coming. Jesus' coming will be more like the arrival of a thief than the arrival of that generous master. Revelation 3, Jesus says this, If you will not wake up, church, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. What does the thief do? Takes away. What will Jesus take away at the second coming for those who are found utterly unprepared for him? Everything. Everything they hoped in. Their very life, their very soul wrapped up in their possessions, in their luxury. And so, verse 40 says this, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So here's the warning. When Jesus is coming, he's coming at a time that none of us expect. CNN doesn't know when. Fox has no idea. And 
Uh, neither do all the Bible predictors who have tried to find some secret code to tell you a day and hour that he's showing up. They don't know. And because of this, that day is either going to be a blessing or a burglary. It's either going to be a time of unspeakable joy or unspeakable loss. And what makes the difference? It's preparation. Being prepared for that coming And so I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for Christ? If you have not turned to trust in Jesus, then you need to hear this, these frank words. You're not ready. Because there's only one way to be ready for Jesus coming again, and it's to repent of your sins. It's to look to him for forgiveness. Jesus, I need you. I'm not prepared. Prepare me for your second coming and do so by forgiving my sins so that when you come, I'm found in your righteousness, clothed. And you you come ready to serve me. Lord, I desire that. And Christians, if you have looked to Christ, if you are trusting in him, then let this warning direct you to hold fast. Stay ready. Keep your post at the door. And when you find yourself falling asleep, when you find yourself walking over to the couch and testing its comfort, go back to the door. Go back to your post of, of readiness for Christ's return. You've been waiting so long. Let that Savior come to you at his time, and say, sit down, let me serve you a meal. So we hear these commands to be ready, to be warned. Third, hear this call to be faithful. Peter hears these words of warning and and asks Jesus, hey, are these words for us, the inner circle of disciples, or are they for everyone? Because it's kind of tricky to figure out what, who you're directing this to, Jesus. And, and notice, he doesn't give him a direct answer. But in answering him, his, his answer is basically, yes, to both. Y'all need to be ready. You need to be faithful. Whoever you are, and especially those who are leaders in Christ's church. He makes these things very clear. And he makes them clear through two very different kinds of stewards. Um, What are stewards? They are servants of a certain kind, but they're servants who are put over the charge of of managing their master's house while he's away. He goes off on a business call. Suddenly, the the steward is responsible for, for managing the whole place. So first, see this dependable steward of verse 42. Who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. You know, this manager is like, uh, what's his name? Carson the butler in Downton Abbey. Seen that? That guy's got it together. He uh, realizes at every point that the household is not his own. It's his master's. And so he, he manages accordingly. What does he do? Um, He sets out food for the fellow servants. 
He makes sure that's, that happens. He, he budgets his spending. He showers his fellow uh, workers with the master's kindness, as if he were the master himself. And what does the master say when he returns and finds his house in order, marvelously in order, because of this dependable steward? He says this, Blessed are you. Well done. I'm giving you a promotion. I'm going to put you over even more out of my generosity. But look at the unbelieving steward. Verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of the servant will come. What's happening? Well, this guy's problem is pretty clear. He's forgotten he's a steward. He's forgotten that the master put him in charge of his estate. And so what does he do? He acts as if it's his own. He acts as if he has no one to manage it for. And so he squanders away all of, all of the money that, uh, in the master's bank. And he, he, he takes uh, out of the master's own pantry all his food, all his liquor, and he gets drunk. And in getting drunk, he beats the servants. Until it's too late. Suddenly, the door swings open, and in comes the master, and he sees it all. He sees the, 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 the servants beaten on the floor. He sees the, this, this unfaithful steward on the couch, drunk as can be. And the punishment is almost too severe for us to even imagine. Verse 46, cut in two worse than that thrown in with the unfaithful what is Jesus trying to show us with these two stewards he's trying to show us two radically different responses to his second coming he's trying to show us first humble stewardship a stewardship that he calls us to you see what it is right Managing uh, our lives, our possessions, our treasures as if they're the masters because they really are. And we have to give an account when he comes back. But, but second, he gives us this picture of prideful scoffing. And I want you to see, this is, it is not the response of a Christian at all. The unfaithful steward is really the unbelieving steward. He does not know the master really. And that's why, in the end, he's placed with the unfaithful. Prideful scoffing is his posture. Second, Peter 3, 4 tells us that this prideful scoffing is happening even in our day. The, the years are ticking by, and what are people saying? Where is Jesus? Where is this one you call my master? I haven't seen him show up. Where's the promise of his coming? Isn't, 
Isn't that what we see in the world today? People acting like this, uh, uh, these things that God has, has stewarded them with are their own, living as if there is no master. Friends, we also need to be soberly aware that the master is returning, that there are really only two responses to that delay in his second coming. So humbly, humbly steward what he's given you. And I, and I just want to direct this to two people today. Not two specific people. Okay. <laughs> two groups. First, church leaders. Okay, I'm putting it on myself first. James 3 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged by greater strictness. Isn't that the principle that we see unfolded in this, this passage? To the one who much is given, much is required. There will be a stricter judgment, the strictest judgment possible for those who have been given much by the Lord Jesus Christ, but like Judas Iscariot, do not know him. Do not anticipate his, his second coming. Presume upon what he's given them. And so I want you to know that the Lord Jesus Christ holds me and Brad and Andrew and all your leaders accountable to the very thing that this humble steward does, nourishing and feeding the, serf, the, uh, the fellow workers. But second, this call to be faithful and to be faithful stewards is directed to all of us. It's directed to you. Because all of you, we've seen this in the past two weeks, you've been given time. You've been given talents. You've been given treasures by the Lord. And when he comes in the second coming, he's, he wants, he's going to ask you to give an account of how you use them. So use them as ones who are ready, ones who have been warned, ones who are faithful. And finally, I want you to see that the that Lord Jesus calls you to be encouraged, encouraged by his second coming. Why is it that even after hearing these words of warning, even after hearing this, these, this stern, um, uh, these stern words of judgment for the unfaithful steward, that we should still look to the second coming with joyful anticipation? It's because the one who is coming is faithful. Jesus is faithful. And that second coming, if it is nothing less, nothing else, it is the coming of our Savior. Friends, if you have looked to Jesus, if you are trusting in him, if you are struggling here and now to be a faithful steward, imperfectly, but surely struggling, then I tell you this, that waiting on Jesus is like waiting on your best friend to come home. Waiting on Jesus, Titus 2.13 says this, it's your blessed hope. He comes, friends, as a servant to serve servants. He comes, beloved, as a manager 
to bless you and put you in charge of even more, to promote you out of his gracious hand, and he comes as your blessed hope. So be ready. Be warned. Be faithful. Be encouraged by that second coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Lord, we ask that we would be